0: Welcome to the In God She Trust Podcast. Y'all today, mm, I got I got some revelation from the Holy Spirit that I have to tell you about, um, I mean, it, it cannot wait. I'm not even going to announce anything. I'm not even going to just, here's what I want you to do. Okay. Um, wherever you're at, <clears throat> I need you to grab your Bible, grab a, grab a cup of coffee and a big one. Cause you don't go need it. Okay. Um, a blanket, something we're going to hunker down because, oh my gosh, y'all, um, the Holy Spirit has just dropped mic drop after mic drop after mic drop on me this morning. And my brain has been melted in ways I didn't know my brain could be melted. And I'm going to do my absolute best um, to make this flow well, to make this sound eloquent, to make it all correlate for you. Um, But I have just been down a rabbit hole that I did not expect to be in. Um but I'm loving it. Ba pa pa I'm loving it, right? Um, <laughs> so Okay. Let's just dive right in. Hopefully you have coffee. Hopefully you've had coffee. Um if you're a person that d- that has energy um that doesn't come from coffee, I envy you. I've had two cups and I'm still drinking it. All right. So, um I have been trying to prepare, you know, a podcast episode, and um, I was kind of like, oh, "This, this is real good, Lord! Like, this is awesome!" And it was on the fire of God, and um, like how fire correlates with God, and then I went to sleep, woke up this morning. Watched a TikTok video that made me go, "That's really cool," and so I started researching it more, and it just tumbled into this crazy correlation. Um, so, I don't even know where to start. I'm so excited, you guys! Like, I I am so stoked about this right now. The Holy Spirit is so amazing. God is so amazing and so good. Okay, so let's just. I'm going to shut up, and uh, no, I'm going to keep talking because if I shut up, you can't. Um, understand what I'm going to tell you. Okay. So let's look at Genesis three, seventeen through 19. Okay. So this is the fall of Adam. And, um, this is where God is, um, uh, you know, telling them their punishments. Okay. So Genesis 3, um, you know, the, the serpent deceives Eve. She takes a bite out of the, the fruit, she gives it to Adam. He takes the bite out of the fruit. They realized, um, you know, their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. They hid from the Lord. The Lord was walking in the garden. Um, And then the Lord was like, hey, what'd you do? And so then they're kind of um, talking about it. So um, this is specifically um, God's punishment to Adam. So uh, Genesis 3 verse 17 says, then Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree, which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and this- thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were, you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. So in here... Um, Adam is um, punished by he will have to work the field, and the 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 earth at this uh, you know beforehand did not produce thistles, did not produce thorns, did not produce weeds. Everything was perfect, but because of the fall of Adam, the ground was cursed um, as punishment for him. Especially the thorns and the thistles. Like if anyone has ever been um, like poked with a, a thorn, it hurts. But um, it wasn't like some of these. Thorns um, in this area um, were not like the tiny little thorns that we see on a rose bush. Some of them were like an inch long, super, super long, super thick, um, not pleasant whatsoever. Okay, so Adam was cursed um, here, uh, Eve was cursed here, the serpent was, was cursed here. Um, and then if you just scroll down a couple verses, in Genesis 3.21, um, we see what is believed to have been the very first animal sacrifice. And it says in verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed, and clothed them. Um, so beforehand, they were, they were buck naked because um, they, they didn't know they were naked. They were, they were just happy in their birthday suit right they had no clue there was no shame attached um but as soon as they sinned the shame covered them and so god here um possibly did the first which i, I do believe he did the first animal sacrifice and he covered them with the with the skin of an animal to cover their sin and their shame so um God did the very first sacrifice, okay? Stick with me here. Um, and then if we go just over one chapter to Genesis 4, this is um, talking about Cain and Abel, which were the sons of Adam and Eve. Um, she first had Cain. Cain. And um, then she had Abel right afterwards. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. It says in verse 2 that Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Okay, so um, in the proce- it says in verse 3, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So it says here that, um, you know, Cain was the firstborn son. And so, um, you know, typically back then, um, the firstborn son got all of the inheritance, and the, the secondborn um, did not. Um, but I... I'm looking here, so the firstborn son of Adam um, worked the ground. What did we just decide, um, or what did we just figure out in the last chapter? That the ground was cursed because of sin. So Cain um, was literally um, the um, production, the very firstborn production of um, and symbol for working the cursed ground, okay? So that's why he was a tiller of the ground. And so then Abel, the second born, um, was a keeper of sheep, also known as a shepherd. And so this is why God did not respect Cain's offering because he, he brought him fruit. What was What was the sin of man attributed to? Eating of the fruit, and the ground was then cursed afterwards. But Abel... Brought a sheep, firstborn of his flock, and his fat. So right off the bat, we see a correlation with Cain and Abel, with the fall of man and the sacrifice of the lamb. Right away, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's just so mean. Why God didn't um, accept Cain's offering?" No, it's because Cain was literally the like the 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 fruit not pun intended, um, of the sin and worked the cursed ground and then gave God an offering of fruit, which was what caused the fall of man. But Abel brought a sheep, which like, hello. So big correlation there. Okay, But then Cain later on, out of pure anger and jealousy, he killed his brother Abel. And so once again, we see that sin and the curse of man kills the Lamb of God. This is just mic drop number one. I'm writing down how many mic drops. Do do y'all see this? Okay. Y'all see this? I hope so. And so then um, he curses Cain and he says, so now you are cursed from the earth earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand when you till the ground it shall no longer yield its strength to you a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth and so once again the ground is cursed to Cain because that was where he you know gave his sacrifice but in into the blood uh, into the earth his brother's blood was soaked into Um, so this is just nuts, you guys. (laughs) This is just crazy. Okay. So we, we could keep going on this, but it just gets better. Okay. It just gets better. Okay. So now let's skip over to, um, Genesis 22. And this is, um, where Abraham is called to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And everyone sees the correlation between Isaac and, and, you know, Abraham sacrificing his one and only son, and then God provided the, the ram, and all of that stuff, um, symbolizing Christ, right? Okay, so let's just, okay, I have to take a, a big, deep breath. So, in, um, verse 10, it says, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So, he put his son upon the altar, and the altar's made out of wood, okay? And, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, when given a sacrifice, a sin offering, the the altar had to burn all day and all night. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, so the blaze just had to keep going for a very long time. Um, but then in verse eleven it says, "But an angel of the Lord called to him and said, Abra- Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your." son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Okay. So we're going to stop here and we're going to camp here for a while. Okay. So, um, Abraham was promised, a son, and his that God's promise was that your 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 descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of the sand. And then he's like, "Oh, by the way, you need to sacrifice him." Abraham didn't hesitate. We we talked about this a couple episodes back, um, talking about the lion, right, the roar of the lion, and all of that stuff. Um, but the ram is a sheep, and so the ram not only was a sacrifice that God gave instead of Isaac, it, it was a foreshadowing of Christ who is the perfect lamb of God. Um, and the ram, um, is if you, you know, look up like, um, the symbolism of a ram, it's symbolizing strength and courage and, um, especially like in, in Greek culture, it's strength and courage. And then um, it also has the power to overcome and achieve, right? So the, the ram that was given to Abraham was a foreshadowing of Christ of strength, courage, and to overcome and achieve. He, what did he overcome? He, overco- he overcame sin. But what really caught my attention was that the ram's horns were caught in the thicket. And you know if you if you research deeper it, they it's believed that in this part of the world the thickets had thorns on them big thorns and so upon the ram which in which his horns were caught was thickets of thorns do you see where i'm going with this <laughs> okay do you do you see okay um so when Christ was crucified, they put a crown of thorns upon his head. So we see that, it, that this scripture just goes all, already so deep and that the ram's horns were caught in the thicket and that thorns um, were laid upon Christ's head as he was crucified. We're just getting started. Okay, so there's mic drop number two. <laughs> okay, I'm keeping a tally of, like, this is, like, this is the type of revelation that I've been having this morning. And then, um, the, the ram's horn is very, like, really caught my eye. I'm like, why the ram's horns? Why is, why is the horn, like, such a, a a big thing here? Because my, when I read the Bible, and if my eye just stops on something, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get my attention on something, and it just stopped over the horn of the ram. So I started digging deeper and I started researching, and the horns of a ram are hollow, completely hollow, and they they uh, circle or spiral, and that is that is symbolizing um, like the circle of life or coming full circle around. Okay, so in my head, what I realized is like the ram's horn symbolizes from sin until sacrifice. God made everything complete. One full circle, it it all came back around to the curse of Adam, okay? But the ram's horn is extremely significant in Hebrew culture and in Israeli culture because um, that, the ram's horn, is what they made their trumpets out of. When you read scripture... When it talks about a trumpet blast, it is not talking about metal trumpets. This is not the boogie-woogie bugle boy, okay? No. This is talking about the horn of a ram. And it is extremely significant um, and, and a symbol of, of God. And all throughout scripture, there's like, you know, these trumpet blasts and all of this stuff. And, you know, we see in paintings, like angels coming through with like trumpets of like metal and stuff like that. No, 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 sweet pea. They're not trumpets of metal. Those are the horns of a ram. This is nuts, you guys. Okay. And I looked up, um, I looked up the sound of a, it's called a shofar. I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, it's called a shofar. I believe in, in Israeli, I don't, I don't know. I'm butchering it, but this, um, this is what it sounds like. This is a YouTube video. I don't know if it's going to play. So that's just a little snippet of what, it, what the shofar or the ram's horn sounds like when blasted. It's amazing. It sent chills down my spine when I first heard it, you guys. Absolute chills down my spine. Whew. OK, so I, I got I to gotta, I gotta gather this. OK, so there are four instances in um, Hebrew culture where the shofar is blown. One it is where it is gathering an assembly to the Lord. The second is the sound of alarm for battle. The third is to announce the coronation of a king. And four marks a Sabbath or a holy day, the beginning and the ending of a holy day. So specifically, we're going to look at the sound of alarm for battle and the announcement um, of a coronation of a king. So in 1 Samuel 10, this is where Israel is pretty much demanding a king God is not super stoked about it um, because they're rejecting what God has already given them. So he's like, fine, give him a king. Um, but it says, uh, Samuel, who is the prophet, took a flask of oil, pour, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, hasn't the Lord anointed you to rule over his inheritance? Um, and so he's, he's anointing him, him king with, with the oil. And it was... Um, it was customary that when they um, were coronating a king, they would blast um, the, uh, the trumpets, the ram's horn, to symbolize the king over over Israel. Um, then, in First Samuel sixteen, this is um, where David was anointed um, king after Saul. Um, and so it says in verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David that day forward. So when Saul was anointed king, it was done publicly. When David was, an- was anointed king, it was done privately. But what he did is they filled the ram's horn full of oil and then anointed the head of David. So the ram's horn, once again, symbolizing Christ and king, anointed David, a man after God's own heart, to be king over all of Israel at this time. And so this was, this is, was extremely holy and extremely significant because Jesus came out of the line of David. So um, David was anointed privately with the, the ram's horn being filled with oil and then poured over his head. Crazy amazing stuff. <sighs> So the ram's horn we're seeing already is extremely significant because the ram's horn caught in the thicket symbolized Christ. The ram is, uh, you know, a male sheep. Um, the, it signif- signifies strength, courage, um, and um, overcoming. And so, um, and ultimately, you know, the, the ram's horns were caught in the thicket of the thorn to symbolize the, fi- the final sacrifice. Whew, okay. Then, if we look at like a sound of alarm for battle, um, if we look at Joshua 6, which is like just a couple books back, um, Joshua 6.20, this is the fall of um, Jericho. It says, so the troops shouted and the trumpet sounded. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the troops great- gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. Above here um, in verse... three, um, Joshua six, three, it says, march around the city with all the men of war circling the city. One time do this for six days, have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear it sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse, and the troops will advance each man straight ahead. So they had to circle one time for six days, and then on the seventh day, they had to circle seven times, while seven priests carried seven trumpets. Seven is a big number. Seven symbolizes completion, um, and, you know, or, um, the finishing of something. Seven symbolizes something being finished or complete. And, um, then you know they, they, they conquered Jericho and they destroyed everything within the city, every sword, every man, every woman, everything, um, because they followed the Lord. But the ram's horn was extremely significant because all they had to do for the first six days was just march, nothing else. They just marched one time around the city, but it was only on the seventh day as they marched around seven times that they had to be blowing the ram's horn. Once again, signifying the sound of alarm for battle. And then after everyone gave a great shout and, this, and the seven horns were blown by the seven priests, um, the walls fell. Okay, super, I, I mean, I hope I'm making this clear for everyone because my, my brain feels really jumbled, but I'm trying to correlate all of this the best way I can. Okay, so... The, the ram's horns are extremely significant. The ram is extremely significant. But let's go back and look at sacrifices. So sacrifices had to be placed on an altar of wood, had to be burning for a very long period of time, had to burn all day and all night. And um, the sacrifices were always laid upon wood, which it comes from a tree. the first curse that was brought upon man was because of a tree. This is nuts. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree, of one tree that they were told not to eat from. So out of a tree came a curse upon all man. because of one tree. So when sin offerings were given, they had to be placed upon a tree. It says in Galatians 3.13, "Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. And so with all of these sacrifices, the the sin offerings and the sacrifices had to be burned on a tree, because the the wood symbolized the tree that brought the curse— Oof, and the sacrifice um, was constantly foreshadowing Christ, who was hung on a tree. Being um, hung on a tree was 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 so big to people back then, um, because it was literally um, a man who was cursed. That that was how people knew a man was cursed, as if he died by being hung on a tree. And so the, the full context is, is crazy to me. And the foreshadowing and the constant symbolism is crazy to me. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So the curse that came from the tree, Christ was hung on and became the curse for us. And took our place on the tree instead. This is just the like part of the revelation that I got this morning. So now we're going to look at what I had like originally planned. So when you have sacrifices, you had to burn it, right? And all throughout Scripture, we see that God is um, correlated with fire. Okay, fire is both comforting and terrifying right? If it's, if it's in the containment of a campfire, it's warmth, it's peaceful. Um, it's beautiful. Um, but in the case of a massive house fire, it's massively destructive. Okay. So God, um, God is fire. And all throughout scripture, when we see where God shows up, fire is right there with him. In Genesis 15, um, is the um, Abrahamic covenant that was it, that's extremely significant. Um, I feel like I just keep saying everything is extremely significant, but it's extremely significant. Okay, so this is the this is a big thing that um, I learned not too long ago. So I'm going to read this. Um. So this is where you know the Lord gave gave Abraham like. Abraham said in verse two, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is, um, Eliezer of Damascus. So this was, bu- so right now he's Abram. He later becomes Abraham and this was before Isaac. Okay. Um, says now the Lord, the, the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed God and credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how will I know I will possess it? He's pretty much saying, like, you know, how, how am I going to know? Like, God is making a covenant with him, so he's saying, how will I know this will all come to pass, pretty much. The Lord said, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a three-year-old ram (laughs) a turtle dove and a young pigeon notice how it's they all had to be a three-year-old three in my brain in this context symbolizes um god the son and the holy spirit okay So he brought all of these things to him, cut them in half and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram and suddenly great terror and darkness descended upon him. Okay, so let's let's stop here because this is an extremely, I cannot say significant. <laughs> I cannot say significant. This is, uh, whatever, it's an extremely significant portion of scripture. I'm so sorry. I need, a, I need a better vocabulary. So this is a huge covenant. If you look at the history of this covenant, um, Abram cut all of the animals in half except for the birds of prey, but he placed one bird on one side, one bird on the other, okay? And so back then, this was, I think, the most um, bonding and serious type of covenant you could possibly make with somebody. So after he cuts the, the you know, the animals in half, he falls into a great sleep. The Lord puts Abram to sleep. And then the Lord said, know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. This is talking about Egypt. Okay. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and after they will go out with many possessions, but you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached with full measure. When the sun has set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenazites, Kadmonites, Hithites, per, per, Perizzites, Rifrim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Whoa, that's a lot of sites. <laughs> um, but notice, um, it said a, a, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed through. But but then it says later that God made that covenant with Abram. Abram was supposed to walk with God between the animals because what that symbolized was let it be done to me like these animals if I violate this covenant, which means if I violate this covenant, it means death for me. But God did not make Abram walk through it with him. He put him to sleep. Why? Because God knew that man Abram Abraham and all of his descendants would fail at keeping that covenant so who walked with god through those animals said a smoking smoking pot and a flaming torch it was christ Christ was the flaming torch who walked with his father, the smoking pot, through the animals, saying, let it be done to me. Like these animals, let me be sacrificed and killed if I do not withhold my, my end of the bargain. Christ walked in place of man, in place of Abram. So, once again, we see a flaming torch fire. In Exodus 3, God appears to Moses as a burning bush. And in some cases, and in some translations, it says a burning thorn bush. Now, not every translation says that, so don't don't take that as it was a thorn bush, but some, some do say that it, they believe it was a thorn bush. But it says that in Exodus 3, that the burning bush was all-consuming, but it was not being destroyed. It says multiple times that God is an all-consuming fire. So this bush was com- completely consumed and engulfed in flames, but it was not being destroyed. And Moses just knew, oh my gosh, this is huge. So he fell on his knees. He's like, oh Lord, you know, big thing. Then in Exodus 13, 21 God goes before Israel, leading them into the wilderness as a, a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. Do you, do you see this? Okay. Pillar of fire. And then in Exodus 19, verse 18, this is where God comes upon Mount Sinai. And it burns the top of Mount Sinai because the Lord came upon the mountain as fire. In Exodus twenty-four verses seventeen, He appears to Israel as an all-consuming fire. In Deuteronomy five, He this is where um, the you know the Lord speaks. He gives the Ten Commandments, and He speaks, and it says His, his words. Were, um, were as fire, same thing if you look in Isaiah sixty six fifteen, 15, Deuteronomy 19, um, he destroys with fire and is victorious. And then in Kings, first Kings 18, this is the prophet of Elijah versus the Baal prophets. And, um, you know, this is where Israel and a lot of people were, um, they were worshiping the, the gods of Baal. Um, they were offering human sacrifices. They were they were murdering their children as sacrifices to this God. And Elijah's like, this is enough. So he's like, all right, bet. Let's just, let's see whose God is the bigger God. And so he brings all like 400 some prophets of Baal out. And he says, okay, you build an altar made out of wood. <laughs> okay. And you call on Baal to bring fire to your altar. Okay. So the Baal prophets you know, are calling out to bail. come down, come down, come down, B- burn this up, burn this up, burn this up. Nothing happens. Because Baal ain't, Baal ain't real. <laughs> Baal bailed out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was funny. Okay, I cracked myself up. Um, so yeah, Baal, Baal did nothing because he ain't real. And then Elijah's like, okay, it's my turn. I know my God is real, and I'm just going to prove just how real he is. So Elijah, he builds an altar, you know, and you dig a trench around it. And uh, he commanded servants to soak the wood in water. So they did. Then he commanded it a second time. Dump more water on it. So they did. Did it a third time. Dump more, on, dump more water on it so they did. And it it says in scripture that um, they had put so much water on the altar that it had had filled the trenches that they had dug around the altar, okay? And then Elijah calls out to God. He said, God, the one and only, the one and only, um, come and uh, come upon this altar in fire. And not only did the Lord, you know, uh, just, you know, put a little spark in it and have it, um, you know, catch on fire. It was all consuming that there, it just burned it, incinerated it. Absolutely nothing left, pretty much. Okay, and so everyone was like, oh my gosh. And then Elijah had all of the Baal prophets slaughtered. Um, God is savage, y'all. Like he is so, he is just, I, the, the sheer strength and power of our Lord is just insane. And how he just comes and just, just makes a huge statement like that. But he came on as fire to the altar where offerings and sin offerings and stuff were supposed to be, to be pushed. Okay. So let's kind of look at what fire, um, is. So fire in, in, is cleansing. Okay. Um, but fire can also be extremely destructive, so we're going to kind of look at that. So God, um, God will judge the entire earth with fire when, when the end times come, and I, I firmly believe that we are in the, the the midst of the end times right now. Um, he he comes to judge us with fire, and um, there's two two pieces of scripture that I'm going to back this up. One is Second um, Peter verse three. No, Second Peter chapter three, verse ten. It says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat; both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up." Okay, and then the uh, the the second piece of scripture to kind of um you know to back this up is First Corinthians three. 13. And this says, um, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." So it's talking here, and I, I believe this is talking, um, especially in uh, First uh, Corinthians three thirteen. It's talking about Christians. So, like when we die, we go up, and all of our works, all of our deeds, everything how we how we lived this life, God is going to test it by fire. And if it is burned up, it usually means you know our motives weren't pure. Um, we you know we had some sort of like false intent behind it. But if it if it's burned, um, and it and it survives. Um, we get a great reward, meaning like it was done out of servitude to the Lord. Our heart was pure. All of that, okay. And um, so, Christians and believers, we are going to be judged by fire. But then, if we deny Christ and we get to heaven and we die and we we've we've denied Christ or we haven't accepted Him or we've or we've fallen away from righteousness where we've turned our back on Christ. Um, our punishment is also fire. Go with me to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to go down all the way to verse 41. And it says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Eek! And then... We're going to go to Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 8. And it says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So if we deny Christ, we do not accept him as our Lord and Savior, and we do not walk in his ways, our eternal punishment will also be fire. So in, in, in one way, fire is comforting, and in another way, it is destructive. It is comforting knowing, you know, you're a believer, you're saved, but your works are still going to be tested by fire. You are still going to be tested by fire. But if, if we deny Christ, and he is not our savior, we will spend eternity burning in the fire. This is nuts, y'all, okay? I'm, I'm, still, I'm still blown away. But fire also refines. Fire is cleansing at the same time. Sometimes forests are purposely set on fire. There's a, there's a type of tree called the lodgepole pine, and um, its seeds do not release out of its cones, unless it is exposed to extremely high temperatures. Um, what triggers the seed to be released is extreme heat. And then a lot of times why um, they, will, they will light forest on fire on purpose is to clear all of the dead trees, the dead bush, the dead leaves from the forest floor, so new plants can grow. Sometimes it, the, the dead vegetation is so heavy that nothing new can grow. And so they burn it to get rid of all of the crap so new life can spring forth, and then you know when it clears out, you know the dead trees and all of that stuff. It, sometimes, like a lot of dead trees are still standing tall, um, but they block out the sun, so the sunlight cannot come in, and so nothing can grow. So when they burn it, um, a lot of those um, dead trees fall, and it allows more sunlight to come into the forest to allow for 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 new growth. It also can improve wildlife habitat. And um, the fire also can break down and return nutrients to the soil to once again help um, to once again help the, the the growth process. Okay, so God, if we allow Him to, He does this in our lives. It says, and um, go with me to Proverbs. I love Proverbs; it's so good. Proverbs seventeen three. It says the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Okay? Then go with me to Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12. And it says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You have brought us into the net, and you have laid affliction on our back. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out into rich fulfillment. So it's it's saying in these two verse in these two passages, passages of scripture that the Lord refines us as silver and gold through fire. And then one more, Matthew three, verse eleven, says this. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is um this is uh, uh, John the baptizer. Okay. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is the hand and he will, he, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff which, with unquenchable fire. The chaff is like the extra stuff, the, the sin. That's what he's talking about. Okay. So he cleanses with fire. And a lot of times throughout Proverbs, it says, you know, wisdom, um, is, is, you know, better than silver or gold and that God, and you know, we see in Proverbs and in Psalms that God refines us, um, at like silver and like gold. Okay. So little, little like nerd moment for me. So I looked it up. The melting point of gold is 1,947.52 degrees Fahrenheit. Super hot. Okay. Um, once you melt it, you like pour it into a mold, you let it cool, and all of the impurities in the gold then rise to the surface, and then you you um, you cut those out, you take out the impurities, and then you are you are left with pure gold. Silver um, is only ha- has to be refined several times, right? It's heated up. the impurities come to the surface. the The silversmith scrapes them off lets it cool, does it again, and keeps doing it, and keeps doing it, and keeps doing it. And silver is only truly refined until the silver or the silversmith can see his clear reflection in the metal. So as Christians, when we go through trials and we go through fire... That is God refining us in our hearts. What he's trying to do is he is trying to, to bring all of our impurities to the surface so he can remove them and make us more and more pure. What, what's, uh, there's a, the, the verse that says, blessed are the pure in heart. You can only be pure if you go through the fire that God puts you through. I also, you know, I also say that, that sometimes this is your flesh dying, right? And so for me, I would much rather be tested by the fire of God in this lifetime than to be burned in it for eternity. This is why it says God is an all-consuming fire, because he uses fire to purify us and cleanse us, to make us more like himself. So when we get to heaven and he and He burns our um, our motives and stuff in fire, that we will receive a great reward. But he also uses that same fire um, as, as punishment for rejecting him. And so this is also why fire had to be used with sacrifices. So the, the ram was laid on the wood, the wood that is cursed from the tree, and fire is used to completely um, kill all of the sin. And then we, we kind of go back to, to the ram's horn and how it was caught in the, the, the thorn bush thicket. And then we've, we go over and we look at Christ's crucifixion. And he was known as the Lamb of God who was laid upon wood to be the sacrifice of all sins. And upon his head was a crown of thorns. The crown of thorns does not just symbolize the thorns from the thicket that the ram was caught in. The very first curse that God gave Adam was he cursed the ground to produce thorns and thistles. So the ground was cursed and Christ took the curse of Adam and put it upon his head on the tree and took Adam's place. A curse came upon man because of a tree, and a curse was then taken away because of a tree. The ram or the lamb of God with his thorns caught in the thicket was laid upon the cursed tree, and died for us. And then I also found out something extremely significant as well. Adam and Eve were first naked. Before they sinned, they had no clue. They were just happy. And so after they sinned, God sacrificed an animal to cover their sin. Yes, the blood of Christ covered our sin, but this is something that... um, you have to do the research on, and most Christians are probably going to get weirded out when I say this. Christ was naked when he was crucified. If you look into the history of crucifixion, um, it was fully to humiliate and torture the victim. And so, historically when people were crucified, they were naked. So the shame that Adam and Eve had had to be covered by the sacrifice. And because of the sacrifice of Christ, he was naked upon the cross. And he took off the shame from humanity. He took off the humility from humanity and brought it upon himself. In in paintings, we see Christ up there, but he's got a a cloth around his waist to cover his genitals. But historically, he was naked. Do you see how all of this comes full circle? The nakedness of Adam was covered up because of their shame. Shame. But because of shame, Christ wanted to take off the shame that we feel, so he uncovered himself and was crucified. The thorns and the curse from the ground that Adam brought upon himself, Christ put upon his head and took upon himself. The curse that the, 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 the tree of knowledge of good and evil brought upon man, Christ died upon. That's why it said cursed is the man who dies on a tree, because a tree gave the curse, but then the tree took it away. And out of the ram's horn came trumpets to gather the people of the Lord to himself, to sound an alarm for battle, to announce the coronation of a king, and to mark holy days. I got one more mic drop for you. Go to Revelation. I believe it's chapter one. I'm just flipping over in my Bible. Give me a second. I've got chills. This is um, John's vision of Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, on the Lord's day, Sabbath, right? The Lord's day. And I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Lampstands then had fire in it. Okay. And among the lampstands was the one like the son of man dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. Going back to the Abrahamic covenant, he was, uh, you know, the torch, the flame of a torch. And his feet were like bronze as it is fired in a furnace. Do you guys see this? He refined everything for us. And his voice was the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. And then if we flip over to... And then all throughout Revelation, it's talking about um, the first trumpet sounded. Seventh, sec- second trumpet sounded. The fifth trumpet. Um, the for- the, you know, uh, the first trumpet sounded, second trumpet, third trumpet, fourth trumpet, fifth trumpet, sixth trumpet. And then, the seventh trumpet is sounded. <laughs> this is just insane. When Christ comes back, And his second coming, it says he will come through the clouds and seven trumpets will be blown. It will not be metal trumpets. Once again, this is not boogie, woogie, bugle boy. The trumpets are made out of ram's horns. Do you Do you see this? This is nuts. There is absolutely no way that you can tell me that the Bible is a bunch of made-up stories, from Genesis to Revelation. There is so much that connects everything. There is so much that constantly goes hand in hand together that you cannot tell me (laughs) that nobody other than God gave us these scriptures. Oh my gosh, you guys, I just got another revelation in Jericho, when they were marching around Jericho, how many trumpets were sounded? Seven. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And then how many trumpets are going to be sounded when Christ comes back? Seven. 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 I feel like Monica off of Friends. Seven. Seven. the number of completion. Everything in the Bible points to Christ, either to his birth and and to his second coming. The ram or the lamb of God took upon the curse from the very beginning upon his own head the ram's horn was used as a trumpet to symbolize coming back to the Lord, a sound for battle. And when Christ comes back, when he comes through and the, the the trumpet sounded, that is all out war on the devil. And it announces the coronation of a king. He is king of kings. So those trumpets, they are not just... Um, going to be gathering the people to himself. They are not it is not just a, a sound of alarm for battle, but it is announcing the coming of our king, just like it did with Saul, but just how it did incredibly for David. And it marks a holy day. I, I can't. I can't. This is so amazing. This is what the Holy Spirit just like kept revealing to me. And it was revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation. And how this all connects and correlates to each other. Genesis was um, written by Moses. And it's believed um, that it was written um, somewhere between 1446 B.C. And 1406 BC, and then Revelation was written by John um, around um, late 60s, mid 90s of the first century AD. So you're telling me that there is almost 2,000 years between Genesis and Revelation. There are 40 authors of the Bible, and they all connect and correlate. Genesis foreshadows Revelation. Revelation points back to Genesis, and then everything in between keeps correlating and connecting with another. The Bible is not a collection of stories that is man-made. No man could have possibly done that. That with possibly 1,500 years separating authors, that it just is a coincidence that it, it correlates? No way. This is our God, you guys. From the moment... He 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 created the earth. He had a plan cuz he knew everything was going to happen. I have no words. I have no words for this. The horn, the fire, the tree, the thorns, everything. All connects and spans with books that were written 1,500 years apart. And every single book connects to itself and points to Christ and his coming and his kingdom. Every single brain on earth put together could not understand the vastness and the knowledge and the wisdom of our God. We can try real hard, but we ain't getting nowhere. the curse of a tree went to the curse of the ground to the curse of man and into sacrifices and then into the final sacrifice and then into the second coming of our king. I'm done. I'm done. I'm I'm done. My brain is my brain is fried and I am just in absolute awe of our lord and I I hope you are too. I'll see you guys next next week. Have a good week.